Thank you, sir. How's everybody doing? Great. Cool. I heard it great. Somebody said great. Awesome. Good. Glad to hear it. Um, yeah, so glad we're all here. And uh, online audience, I just want to also greet you. Hi. Hi. How you doing? We're glad you're with us. Um, I guess let's pray and then we'll, we'll get started. So God, thank you for this opportunity that we've had over the past several weeks to, to talk about eliminating hurry from our lives. Um, Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us tonight, help us to hear you, and help us to do exactly that. Help us to eliminate hurry and help us to just simplify and really get down to loving you better. That's what it's all about. So we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So um, so who, this series that we've been on lately, um, I got to tell you, it has been really messing with me um, in, in like a good way. I mean, it's been, it's been really challenging. And um, so if you don't know, we're, we've been doing topics out of this particular book. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, I think that's how his, pronounce, how his name is pronounced. Um, great book, cannot recommend it enough. Uh, I believe we have a picture up on the slides as well for the, uh, for the online folk. Get this book, it is, it is amazing. Um, I usually don't do just full on, you know, book report style um, endorsements from the platform, but, but in this case, just can't go wrong. Um, and also, as we continue through this series, if you're reading it, you will know what we're talking about. Um, good stuff. Anyway, so, um, and by the way, I, I just have a, a bit of a confession on that note. So, Dr. Cavallaro gave us these books, those of us who are speaking on Wednesday nights, and I, I didn't read it for a while because I was a little too busy. No, when you're too busy to read the book about how busy you are, maybe you're too busy. Um, but I'm catching up, and it's, it's getting better. Anyway, so we've been hearing about hurry sickness and how being in a hurry, filling our lives with endless doing and endless, basically, noise is one of the greatest enemies that, that, that exists between the church and our spiritual formation today. Christians, just all of us, are facing this mountain of, of input, and it's hard to hear the voice of God. And so that's why we've been talking about these topics of silence and, and, and solitude and the Sabbath and just tuning out all of the noise to be able to hear what God is speaking to us and being able to do things that actually get us closer to him for once. And um, so tonight, along those lines, we're starting the next chapter in the book, once again, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Get a copy. The next chapter is about simplicity. And simplicity is an ancient practice that the, that the church has been celebrating as, as a key factor for, um, for, for getting us in touch with the heart of God for really since the beginning of the church. 2,000 years ago, we've been, we've been talking about this, and I don't think it's been so sorely needed ever in history the way it is today. And that's because we're just inundated with 
so many things to be concerned about, so many, um, so much doing and so many just, you know, even just the stuff. We've never had so much stuff. Um, and so when we talk about simplicity, first I guess I just want to ask the question, what is simplicity? What does that mean? Because, you know, it's kind of, it's one of those words that doesn't really mean what it used to mean a couple hundred years ago. You know, we think of simplicity and we just think not complicated. And that's part of it. Um, but as a spiritual practice, I, f I was looking for all kinds of definitions, and I found one um, that was simply the art of letting go. Um, and so, sorry, those were, I put them in the wrong order, David. Um, the art of letting go. And that was, I didn't quite like that. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a partial definition, but the problem is, yes, you're letting go of things, but why? You know, and this, this definition doesn't really answer that question, why am I letting go of this? What am I letting go for? You know, there's, there's what I'm letting go of, but what am I letting go for? What's the better thing? And so there are actually two definitions that the book gives um, that I want to take us through. And the first one is that previous slide. It's the, thank you, David, so much. I, I apologize for that little, it's my fault. Um, the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. See, it's not just what we're removing from our lives. It's not just what we're giving up. It's, it's why are we doing that? Because there's something more important. And so if we can keep our eyes on that goal of this is why, this is what I want, this is the, the goal, it helps us to go, okay, but I, then I don't need this thing if it's really getting in the way. And I really like this other definition that was also in the book. It's, the, uh, it's an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle of choosing to leverage time, money, talents, and possessions toward what matters most. And there's two things that I really want to pull out of that because I think they're crucial for our conversation about simplicity. The first one is that it's an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle. If you just choose on the outside of your life, in the visible portions of your life, to say, you know what, I'm going to give up all these things because I guess God wants me to. You are going to fall flat on your face and fail because there's no motivation behind it. And there's, you're still going to find that you're just wanting all of the things, you just can't have them. And I can't think of a more miserable, miserable existence. It's got to start from the inside where you go, you know what, I only need a few things. I only need this, this, and this. Everything else is genuinely a want, therefore I don't need it. And when we start categorizing what we thought was a need as a want, it gets a little easier. Um, anyone who has ever taken care of a toddler for any period of time knows that, but I need it, isn't always true. And I think spiritually that ends up being us, you know, even those of us who are adults, you know, we, to God, I think we still sound like toddlers a lot of the time, but God, I need it. Do you? don't think you do. The second half of this, though, is, is another thing that I really want to pull out of this um, definition. And it's that it's leveraging time, money, talents, and possessions. You know, so often we, we choose one of these areas and we go, well, I'm going to give God my time. I'm just going to clear my schedule. But we're still addicted to all the stuff. Or, or, or vice versa, you know, we go, well, well I'm just going to give up some, some possessions, but I'm not going to give God any of my time. 
and and really it's a, it's a whole life philosophy of of all of the things, all of the relationships, even um, positions, titles, stuff. I don't if I don't need it, it I don't need it. It's not necessary to have. Um, and so I I don't want us to think that it's only about the things, you know. It's not that God just wants to, us to be poor so that we don't have nice things. It's, it's, it's that there's something greater. And it really requires us to simplify in a lot of areas to really lay hold of that which we were created for. So as kind of an object lesson or an example or a visual, um, who here has ever watched the show Hoarders on A&E? Um, it's not something that I watch a lot, but every now and then, you know, we'll turn it on, and it's, you know, you see these folks who have houses that are full of items that may or may not be useful. And so we have this, um, yeah, and that's, the, that's a picture from the show. And, you know, it, results vary, but it's this, you go through these people's lives, and what you see throughout the course of the show, throughout the episode, isn't just that this person is holding on to all of these items and it's this psychological condition. And they, it's not just that that's happening, but it's that it destroys all the other areas of their lives as well because they lose relationships and they lose you know, the ability to maybe even go to a job. They can't even enjoy their own house because it's full of all of these items. And, and I'm not trying to pick on people with a legitimate psychological condition. I mean, that, that, that's a, that is a thing and I'm glad that there's help for that. What I'm trying to point out, though, is that each of us in our lives, in some way, we tend to do this. And there's just, there is a way that it ends up being socially unacceptable, but a lot of us find just more socially acceptable ways to clutter our lives with stuff. And, and um, even, even the book ends up mentioning Marie Kondo because that was inevitable. Um, if you're not familiar with her, she's like an organization specialist, and she just has this philosophy of you just pick something up and you go, does this give me joy? And if it doesn't, you throw it away. I don't know that the question is, does it give me joy? Um, the question I think we should ask ourselves is, does this bring me closer to God? And it's not just about physical objects. It's about this relationship, this, this, um, this obligation, this thing that I do with my week, this anything, you name it, is it bringing me closer to God? Is it causing life to spring up inside of me? If the answer is no, maybe you don't need that thing, you know? And one thing I would even want to say is it's not even, I think there is a point, though, where God wants us to give up things that are not necessarily harmful to us. Like, yes, if you live in this house, I'll put it this way. I think I saw an episode where somebody had 27 vacuum cleaners. Nobody needs 27 vacuum cleaners. I think you should have a vacuum cleaner. Like, really, a vacuum cleaner is a great thing to have in your house, especially, like, this house is carpeted. Please have a vacuum cleaner. You just don't need 27. So a lot of the things that we end up cluttering our lives with aren't even bad. You just have too many of them. And too much of anything is, by definition, too much. Um, I, um, actually, if we could go to our first scripture for the day. Um, I just want to read this verse, Hebrews 12, verse 1. This is something that, um, that Dr. Cavallaro read to us um, in the first sermon of this series. And I just want us to bring, I want to bring us back there for one very specific reason that I'll get to in a moment. 
Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. What I want to focus in on is one of those little words that's easy to, to skip over. It's and. See, we have let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin. You know, not every obstacle is sin. Not every obstacle is sin, and sometimes we have to give up the good in order to receive something better. And sometimes when you have 27 vacuum cleaners, it wasn't wrong for you to want a vacuum cleaner. But somewhere the, the desire for a vacuum, the thought of I need a vacuum cleaner, became twisted. Not sure how that happened. But then the 26 vacuum cleaners that you don't need end up poisoning your life. And we all do this in one form or another. And I just want to not stigmatize all, because it's not just bad stuff. There, there's good things that we need to also let go of sometimes in our lives. Um, now, when it comes to how to enact simplicity in our lives, I have to tell you, the book has a lot of very, very useful hints, and I'm not going to talk about any of those right now. Um, that's because we're doing two weeks per topic, and so if you want to know the practical tips that the book gives, either buy the book yourself or make sure to come or tune in next week where our friend John Martin is going to um, elucidate that for us. It's going to be great. You should come. Um, but what I'm going to talk about right now is just one specific aspect of how we end up getting into this, 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 this lifestyle of having so much clutter. And to kind of see how that happens, I'd like to use an analogy that the Bible uses. And so most of our the remainder of our time, I know I'm halfway through my time already, but the remainder of our time, I'd like us to camp out in John chapter 15. The very familiar passage that a lot of us have been to, a lot of us have heard numerous sermons about. Um, Jesus has just left the Last Supper with his disciples. Um, chapter 14 basically ends with, come on, let's go someplace else. And he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, so that it be may bear more fruit. Now, I've heard a lot of sermons about this passage. You know, you, you grow up in church, you, you're going to hear one. And the thing that I, it, it bothers me a little bit, is I never end up hearing all that much good stuff about pruning. <laughs> People preach it, and they're like, yeah, well, God's going to prune you. Get ready. It's going to hurt. You're going to hate it. All right, see you next Sunday. Like, can we not, first of all? Can we just not do that? Pruning is a good thing. And I think we need to reframe it because it, it's, it's actually a relief to the plant that, it, that receives it. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. By Let's just look at the life cycle of a grapevine. Imagine you start out in spring, and you've got mostly bare vines, but you get little you know, bits of leaves and stuff that are starting to poke out, new branches are starting to form out of this main trunk, right? Um, I believe that's, yes, thank you. This is a new little leaf springing up out of a grapevine. And this happens in our lives. God, God has us start something. 
He starts us out in a new season full of growth, and, and, and we know that there's this task that we're going to perform or, or some kind of fruit we're going to bear. He puts us in some kind of a ministry context, and he says, here's what you're doing for now. And we start to figure out how to do that. We start sending out little buds and little you know, tendrils, and, and we start to make leaves. We start to do the work, and we're preparing for the task at hand. And then eventually we get into the summer of whatever that work is where it becomes hard work. We get into kind of a, you know, a groove, and we're like, I know how to do this. And we're just, it's hot, and we're trying to pull all of that water through our roots, because in the analogy, we're the grapevine, of course, or we're the branch. We're pulling up all this water, we're pushing it out into those branches, and we are doing everything we can to grow as much fruit as possible. And we start cross-pollinating with other plants, and, and, and there's all this synergy that happens with other ministries. I love it when this happens, and you see it time and time again as people start to get into that groove of the anointing of what God has for them. And then, but what we're going for eventually isn't just more vines and more leaves and more, more, more stuff. It is the harvest. It's when we get to autumn, there's going to be these big, um, these big barrels full of juicy, wonderful grapes. And that's the idea. That's why this church is called Harvest. And we're all about this. And that could be a lot of things in your life. That could be, you know, it could be a revival that we've all been contending for. It could be salvation for loved ones. It could be personal growth. It could be discipleship. All of those things that, you, that we're working toward in our lives. And I just love it when we get to that point because usually there's, you know, there's kind of a trial there where, where we're like pushing if, if you imagine that you're a grapevine, you're pushing all of this sap and moisture and nutrients up into those grapes for that last moment where they're finally going to be picked. And then you can just kind of sit back and you go, we did it, guys. We did it. And I love it. I love it when that happens. But then what? You know, we don't really talk about the next season because it's boring. We don't talk about winter. Winter in nature is a season of rest. And, you know, this is... That looks grim to me because I hate the cold, but, but it's a season of rest in nature. You know, not a lot is happening, but the plant hasn't stopped growing. It's just not growing out. It's, the trunk is expanding, and it's sending out further and further roots. It's expanding its, its root network so that in the next growing season, it's able to produce even more fruit, grab even more water, even more nutrients out of that soil, and push it up into even more grapes the next time. And that's when you do pruning, if you are a faithful vine dresser. It's during that season of rest that God comes to us and says, okay, this thing that you were doing in this previous season, I want you to stop doing that, and I want you to focus on this thing. It's in the in-betweens that he goes, let's redirect your attention. And all of the structures and everything that we built that was very fruitful in the previous season, he goes, this is over. We're doing something else now. And he's the Lord. <laughs> he's in charge. And sometimes it hurts, but, but it only hurts if the vine is still trying to push life up into that branch. And if it's winter, if it's truly winter and it's, it's decided to enter into a season of rest and it's working on its root network, which we all should be doing because that's our connection to, to, to Christ himself. That's abide in me and I in you so that you may bear much fruit. 
if it works on its root network, that branch that, that he cuts off, that the vine dresser cuts off, it doesn't hurt. The only time it should hurt a plant to have something cut off of it is if it's off-season. And there are a couple of reasons that you would do off-season pruning. One is damage. The other one is disease. Now, there is a spiritual analogy for this, too, because, you know, things happen. We live in a broken world. We get caught up in sin. Sometimes there's disease in one of our branches, and God has to go, you know, we're not in a pruning season right now, but this has to go because this will kill you. Or sometimes it's not our sin, though. Sometimes it's other people's sin. You know, if, if storms happen, if you run into this, one of those grapevines, if you run into a grapevine with a car, vine dresser's going to have to come out and do some drastic cutting because things get damaged. And he's like, well, I can save this part. I can't save this. And sometimes those things get taken out of your life. And I think we've all experienced those, those moments in ministry or in family or in life where, where you're, you're going along and you think that this thing is going to work and God seems to be working through it and then all of a sudden it just isn't working anymore and something happens and you go, well, God, why are you removing this from my life? And, and we'll never know the answer to some of those things. But it's because the vine dresser is good that he removes certain things and I don't know why. But it hurts. The thing is, when a plant gets damaged, whether it's through disease or, you know, beetles, whatever it is, the plants have this annoying tendency to send out what we call suckers. Um, these are tiny little offshoots that tend to come out either in the area where the damage occurred or in, um, around the base of the plant. And the reason we call them suckers is because they, they, they literally suck off the sap that should go up into the main trunk of the tree. They're a distraction. They're, they're where the plant, I don't know why plants do this, by the way. I think it's some kind of like plan B. <laughs> like if, if the main trunk is about to die, they're just like, well, I gotta have something. Yoink, yoink. But the problem is it's disorganized and it's not helpful. And so if a plant has a bunch of these little guys coming out of the base, what you end up with is a plant that's not going to produce much fruit because it's too busy making extra sticks and twigs and leaves that it's not going to use for anything. And so a lot of pruning is taking care of these little guys and making them go away. And the thing is, this is us. We do this all the time. Or, okay, I'm not going to say we. I do this all the time. I'll just, I'll just talk about me here. Sorry if I'm stepping on anyone's toes. When I get caught up in something, when I get hurt, when things don't go the way I thought they would, I really like distracting myself. I find a thousand and one little things that I can put my attention on, anything but the actual problem. And we fill our lives with junk and clutter and stuff and distractions and and. None of it's even usually bad. The little, the little, the little twigs, they're not, they're not evil. They're a natural reaction. They're just not helpful. And like the slide behind me says, pruning is the answer. And the thing is that that, that grapevine 
it becomes exhausted trying to take care of all those little suckers. And if you just snip them all off, hopefully it stops panicking and it goes, oh, okay, the main trunk is going to be all right. That's right. I exist for the purpose of producing grapes. I remember now. And that's why a vine dresser prunes so that fruit will be produced. And so when we talk about pruning, when we talk about simplifying our lives, it's not that God is just, you know, snip, 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 I'm mean, grr, snip. That's how we think of it, but that's because, you know, we have a twisted sense of what good is. He doesn't. He knows what good is because he is good. All of that busyness that distracts us from the thing that matters. It reminds me of Mary and Martha, another famous story that we've all heard a thousand times, Luke 10. Um, Martha, of course, is running around the house trying to get everything ready for Jesus, and Mary isn't. And she's very frustrated. The Lord answers her and says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Mary wasn't wrong. Factually, the dishes did need to get done. Food needed to be prepared. But what she failed to discern was the season that the Lord was taking her through. In that moment, that hour wasn't about doing the dishes. It was about resting at Jesus' feet. And when we, get, when we get damaged by pruning processes, it's because we fail to discern what is God doing in this season in my life. Mary figured it out. I love the wisdom um, that you see in the early church related to this topic. Like, most of us have never taken care of plants. I worked as a landscaper for 10 years, um, well, almost 10 years, but point is, most of us don't have this grid, but the early church, they understood those seasonal rhythms of winter is for rest and it's for pruning and spring is for this. And I think this is just a theory, you know, this isn't any history book, this isn't, don't take this to the bank, but I have a theory that that's part of why during this particular season of the year, a lot of Christians have practiced a very specific type of simplicity. Now, who knows what tonight is? Anybody? You all said Ash Wednesday. Good job. Um, I was expecting everyone to say Valentine's Day. Good job. Now, if you didn't grow up in a more liturgical setting where they had the whole church calendar and they did Lent and all those things, that's okay. None of this is in the Bible. None of this is you know, mandated. It's not that if you don't do Lent, you're a bad Christian. But if you do Lent, you're also not a bad Christian. It's yet another practice that we can put into our lives if it gets us closer to Jesus, great. And so all around the world tonight, people are going to a church service, not unlike this one, and somebody's rubbing ashes on their heads, just like, just like this lady here. And for the next six weeks until Easter, they're saying, here is something that I can give up. Here's something that I don't need. And I'd like us to reframe Lent as well. If you're going to participate in Lent, you don't have to. 
but if you're going to do Lent, I'd like us to reframe it not as, well, we're going to punish ourselves for being dirty, rotten sinners, and we're going to, like, no, it's just pruning. It's just simplifying. It's, it's taking something out that's a distraction so that, so that we can experience more of God. That's what it's about. And I think that's pretty good. And pruning isn't a bad word. It's a good thing. It's a relief. It's one less thing you have to worry about. So, I'd like us to pray. Um, and for our prayer, well, I do have one more, one more uh, scripture passage that I think can guide where we're going to go in prayer, because this is a prayer meeting, right? Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, now, in my Bible, in, in, in every Bible I consulted, verses 24 and 25 are separated by this giant, like, you know, section heading about not worrying, so you don't really see the flow of thought. But if you mash them together, because Jesus was just talking, he goes directly from no one can serve two masters, you can't serve God and wealth, to for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. And he says some things about birds and some things about lilies. And he finally ends up with, just seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Don't worry about your clothing. Don't worry about your food. I'm not saying that you don't have to go get food. What I am saying is the reason you don't have to worry is because you can't serve both. And if you just worry about God, everything else takes care of itself. So... If we trust that he's good, if we say, God, I'm trusting you, I am entrusting my life to you, then we're going to be okay. So that's the first of my prayer points today, that we would trust in God's goodness, that he would give us the faith to, to say, what, God, whatever you want us to get rid of, it's because you're good and there's something better. And when it comes to the second point, it's it's. We just need wisdom. God, what do you really need? What do I really need? Sorry. And the third point is, what does God want to prune from us? And I'm praying specifically that he would speak to us tonight, that we would hear his voice, that we would gain wisdom. And then finally, the fourth prayer point that I'd love it if we could touch it tonight is just that he would give us the ability to say yes, whatever he says. So can we do that tonight? Let's pray. God, thank you that you're good, that you're a good vine dresser. And we, as your branches, we come to you today and we say we want to abide in you. We want to stay connected. We want to make good use of the life that you've poured into us. And we don't want to squander it on things that are going to harm us in the end. Um, Lord, we just ask that you would do your pruning on us tonight. Um, whatever it is that is in our lives, whether it's sin or whether it's the other things that distract, those things that aren't even necessarily sinful. God, if there's something better, we want it. If there's, some, if there's something that is keeping us from you, we don't want it. God, we just want you. So Lord, speak to us tonight, everyone in this room. I just ask that you would speak to every heart and show us ways that we can simplify our lives. And we thank you so much for your goodness, for your wisdom. And Lord, we thank you for the strength to say yes when you speak to us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.